based on what we hear in today's gospel reading from Matthew 14 and what's going on around us in our world, here's my question for us as Christians. What is the primal force in your life that's leading you? Is it fear or is it faith? Has fear overtaken your faith or has your faith continued to dispel the darkness of fear? It's a question that we all have to ask ourselves, but all, not just for ourselves, but then corollary to that is how that affects our relationship with everybody, both those familiar and those who are strangers, those who are family and those who are part of the larger society of our culture. I ask this question because I think that we can find an answer with what to do with faith and fear and the distinction between the two and how to live as Jesus is teaching Peter and the rest of the apostles in Matthew's Gospels here and then how that, of course, affects our lives in our relationships with others. So let's jump into it. And I'm going to stay up here because I really want to take this by sections because every part is important and it has a flow to it. So... Jesus had just performed a miracle, feeding of the thousands of people, and he sends his disciples across the lake, the Sea of Galilee, and says, go to the other shore, and there I'll meet you. I'll I'll, I'll catch up with you. So off they go. And this is our life, by the way. This is what God does to us, right? Is that we're traveling across the sea, if you will, across the waters of this life, And our ultimate destination is one that's been pointed out to us by God. And that's the shores of heaven on the other side of life. Now, along the way, a storm happens. And it not just happens for Peter and the rest of the apostles, it happens for us. Christ knows that we live in a fallen world. And so there's going to be storms, literally, nature but also our own human nature and living in a society and um, our age, our health, and any number of forms and varieties of storms that happen in our lives. And we're certainly seeing that around us today, right? In many and varied forms. Uh, The storm of the pandemic, of violence in our streets and in our cities, uh, the what to do with education and Uh, the state of our health care and our economy, and the list goes on on a communal level, but then also the storms that you and I run into on a personal level, like with our health or our relationships or our jobs or our houses or any number of other storms that we encounter in this world. Jesus knows that we're going to have them, and he knew that his disciples were going to have that encounter this night. doesn't mean that he started it. It just means that he knows it's going to happen. And as we'll see, that he wants to be a part of it and for a very exact purpose. Now, it's interesting that Matthew notes this little detail that seems to be insignificant to us, and we may not even know what it means. So right about the time the storm starts, Matthew notes that it is the fourth watch of the night. The Jews had their own way of telling time and of uh, 
phrases that they used to express periods of time. So they called them watches of the day and watches of the night. And they were broken apart in uh, four periods each, so a total of 24 hours. This happens in the fourth watch of the night. So that means it happens between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. This is actually very significant, and that's why Matthew notes this. And that's why this happens in Jesus' life with his disciples at this time. And here's the reason why. The Jews would have picked up on this. The disciples, along the way to the other shore, stopped to fish. Why do we know this? Because the fourth watch of the night is the prime time for Jews who are fishermen to go fishing. Actually, anywhere in the deep of the night. Not late evening, not early morning, but the deep of the night. So after 12 and up until about 6 is the time that is best to fish. Why do we know this? Because in Jesus' day at the Lake of Galilee, a deep lake, and remember, he also notes that this is a couple miles out from the shore. The fullest length, the widest length of Galilee, uh, the Lake of Galilee, is seven miles out. So they're about right in the middle of the lake, at the deepest part. And the fish lie throughout the day at the bottom of the lake because it's so hot up top that this is the coolest spot. And there they remain, and they are not interested in being caught at all, right, during this time. It's only in the deep of the night when it starts to cool off at, up top that the fish start to rise in order to eat and, you know, mosquitoes or other smaller fish and so on. Also, the Jews, when they fish, it wasn't common for them to, I mean, there wasn't their industry to do a, a rod and a, and, a, and a string or, you know, a line. A lot of them, they did it by dragnet, and these nuts weren't deep, uh, so they often skimmed it from the upper part of the lake. Therefore, what we know is that in this prime time, they were fishing. Now, this is important for a couple of different reasons. One of them is this, is that Matthew tells us that they've gone back to something familiar, like providing for themselves. And they've gone back to something routine. Now, in and of itself, that's not a bad thing for us. I mean, we, we have to take care of ourselves as we travel to the other shores of this life and to heaven. But that's when the storms often hit us, is when we're providing for our families and for ourselves, when we're at work, when we're paying our mortgage, when we're, you know, taking care of our health and any number of other things that are common to our lives is when this unexpected storm happens to us. And when we're on our way to heaven. And see, what Matthew is saying is that the storm the disciples are not exempt from. So why would we think that we're exempt from it either? Here are the disciples along the way doing exactly what Jesus told him to do. 
And here we are in our life when we say things like, well, you know, I'm a good person or I'm, you know, trying to follow what God plans for me. And then I get this storm. I get this cross. And then we object to God. We're angry at him. We even blame him for not exempting us when he didn't even exempt his own son or exempt his own disciples. We have to pay attention to that. And that's why this not only happens, unfolds the way it does, but why the Spirit inspires Matthew to pick on all these little details because they're important to us. The other part of this that's important to this is the self-reliance factor. That yes, they're on their way to fulfill what God had said for them to do. And here they are not relying wholly on God, when Jesus just manifested his power and fed thousands with a few fish and bread. And here they are stopping, and it all now, just hours later, is back to life is dependent upon me. And how often do we find ourselves in this situation? As we're traveling across heaven, uh, to heaven, as we're trying to be good, uh, moral, uh, faith-filled people who do the right thing and avoid evil, as we're doing our routines in life, we fall back ultimately on all of life is dependent upon me. So if I'm not working seven days a week, it's all going to collapse. If I'm not doing X, Y, and Z for myself and for my family and for others, it's all going to collapse. And on and on we go, with not just our reasoning, but underlying that reasoning is just the actions, the routine actions that prove I don't really trust you, God. Not fully. And it's in that environment that a storm happens. Again, not necessarily that God caused this storm, Jesus, or causes the storms in our life, but he's going to use it, and there's a reason. So Jesus walks to them in this fourth watch of the night, and this is when we are prone to get God wrong, just like Peter does and the other disciples. So they see Jesus walking on water to them, And they don't see him for who he really is. In fact, they cry out, it is a ghost. And how often do we do this in the midst of storms, right? We get God wrong. How so? Well, we make him into any number of manifestations according to what our wants, our desires are, our needs, our fears, our demands, our expectations. So, when things go wrong and go south and we're in the midst of a storm or experiencing a cross, what do we do? God, you fix this. And you fix it in this way, and you fix it now. And on and on we go, with our stipulations and our expectations. And what are we doing? We're making God in our image and our likeness rather than the other way around. We're telling him what to do rather than listening to him and following him. And then, of course, when God doesn't jump through the hoops 
the way we expect him to jump through the hoops because I'm a good person and I'm a Christian and I go to church, it all falls apart. And even though God didn't start the storm, and, but we got him wrong, we end up blaming him, and then all kinds of things start to fall apart from there, right? And how often do we see people depart from their faith because they simply got God wrong? And they wanted to control God rather than to submit themselves to the one who really can put their lives together, even in the midst of a storm. So, if the disciples are going to get him wrong, why would we think we're not going to get him wrong? And we have, Matthew's telling us, to pay attention to that. But listen to Jesus' response. Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. It's interesting that, so the translation of the scriptures that we use for the liturgy, such as the Mass, is from the, the New American Bible translation. But a more technical translation is the RSV, the Revised Standard Version, or the New RSV. It's closer to the original Greek. And in the RSV, Jesus says, Take courage, I am. Do not be afraid. Jesus uses the name for who God is in the Old Testament. I am. Yahweh. What Jesus is doing as the disciples, as we get him wrong, is he's telling us who he is. He is God. And so because he is God, take courage. Do not be afraid. And when we are afraid and we don't take courage, it's a litmus test for us. We need to pause and step back and say, do I really trust God here? Overcome by this fear? Not following him with courage? Because he is the great I am. And that's what Jesus is saying to his disciples and to you and I. But here's our response. It's Peter. And he says this, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. You see what just happened here? Peter is questioning whether this really is Jesus and whether he really is the great I am. If this really is you, then command me to come to you on the water. You know who else used language like that in the Gospels? Satan. If, this real, if you really are the Son of God, he says to him three times in three different situations in the desert as Jesus is getting ready to start his ministry, if you really are the Son of Man, then command that these stones be turned to bread, and so on. Why? Because Satan didn't trust God. He didn't trust Jesus. He knew he existed. He believed in him. 
But he didn't trust him. And here's Peter, who's ultimately going to become the founder of the Christian church, of the Catholic faith, the one that Jesus builds his church upon. But not yet. Here, if you really are who you say you are, command that I come to you on the water. He's testing Jesus. And we do the same thing, don't we? I think especially in storms. We test God. If you really do love me, then you'll fix this. And you'll fix it in the way that I expect you to fix it. And we use language and posturing in our approach to the great I am, such as Peter did today. So Jesus says, okay, come. And there goes Peter walking on the water. But notice what happens. He starts out walking on water, but because he really doesn't trust Jesus yet fully, he's overcome by fear rather than faith keeping him buoyed up above the tumultuous waves. So he concentrates more upon the storm than he does focusing upon the great I am. And again, this is what we do, right? All these things going on around us in our society today, how much time and energy, how much of our emotions, how much of our thoughts, how much of our fears... How much of our expectations and our demands, how much of all that are we putting into what's going on out here rather than into our relationship with God as all of these storms are around us? And then there's your answer. There's the revelation of why fear is overcoming our faith rather than faith dispelling the darknesses of our fear. I mean, how much of the news and the social media and conversations and so on are we just so obsessed by today with all these many and varied problems around us? Or again, more personally, when we're going through our own personal storms, how much do we just sit down in that storm and just muse in it and brew in it and, 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 and just become overwhelmed with the darkness of it. The fear and the worries and the anxieties and, and, and all kinds of other emotions and responses to that. There's Peter. And there's you and I. Sinking. So what does Jesus do? Well, he waits for Peter because all of this is leading up to this point. When, G when Peter sinks, he cries out to Jesus, Lord, save me. And that's what Jesus waits for in our lives. Because he knows, again, the storms are going to happen in this fallen world and in our fallen human nature and in our frail bodies and so on and in our relationships. He knows they're going to happen. So he waits. He waits for us to get him right. Lord, save me. 
In that moment, Jesus, Peter recognizes his need for a savior. And so he calls out. Jesus will not violate our freedom. We've talked about this many times. It's a fundamental principle in our relationship with anyone when there's love involved. If it's going to be real love. And it's the case here and with us. So he waits for us. And he uses a storm to help us remember who he is. The Savior. God. Our strength. Our hope. Our vision. And just on and on this highway of, of who God is. He's everything. He's, he's supposed to be everything to us. And yet we spend so much of our time on everything else other than him. And so the storms Jesus uses to jog our memory of who he is and who we are in relationship with him. And then, what happens? He picks Peter up and he saves him. Jesus is with us in every single storm of our life. There's never a storm, there's never a cross that we will experience that he's not there with us. And how often do we say things like, I don't feel him. He's absent. He's not answering my prayers. He's not present. He's forgotten me. No, we've forgotten who he is. And so he picks Peter up, and in every storm, his hand is there, ready to pick us up. And not just pick us up out of the situation, but also, ultimately, and just as important and more important, is he picks us up in our faith so that we can journey to the other shores. And not just for ourselves, but for others, and I'll get to that. So what happens next? Peter gets into the boat, and not just then Peter, but all the disciples worship Jesus. And they say, truly you are the Son of God. You see what just happened? The storm and the remembering of who God is and who we are in relationship with him, a need for a Savior, this is the stuff of life that causes us to worship him. To worship him. And it is in that worshiping that we are in a right relationship with him. It's in the worshiping that we remember who he is and our need for him, that he is everything, and we come back to a right relationship with him. Which then will keep us on that path that will lead us to the other shores because only he is going to get us to the shore of heaven and get us into the land of heaven. And it's interesting too because all of this is preceded by not a storm but by a great miracle. So right before Jesus says get in the boat and go to the other side he performs this Miracle of miracles. He takes a few fishes and a few 
loaves and he multiplies them and feeds thousands. So the disciples are riding high in their faith. And in fact, the gospel writer tells us that many of Jesus' followers that day wanted to pick him up and make him king that very day. Make them the Messiah that they wanted him to be. A military side, a, a, a great powerful earthly king who overthrow the Roman government and so on and so forth. And Jesus walks away from that. He says, you guys go on. I'm going to dismiss the crowds and I'm going to remember who I am. So he goes off to a lonely place and he communes with God the Father. No, you're not meant to be an earthly king, my son. This is how you're going to save my people. And here's the thing. Isn't it when life is going well that we are actually most prone to forgetting who God is? And that's exactly what is going on here with Peter and the rest of the disciples. Is that because all things are well and their Messiah, their rabbi, their master is becoming who they expect him to be, that they forget who he actually is. And so he sends them off on a journey where they're going to encounter a storm. And it's the same with our life, and we will be no exception. But if we don't know what to do with that storm, we will do wrong things with that storm. And not only for ourselves, we will lead others astray too. And we won't be able to use what God has given us in the storm, not only to help ourselves get to heaven, but a whole host of other people too. And that's my last point. Is that the disciples then make it to the shore. Now for them, it's not heaven yet. But Jesus is using this storm to get them ready for this storm. The greatest storm they're ever going to encounter both in witnessing the death of their Messiah and then every single one of them in the course of their life being martyred for the faith. So it gets them ready for the storm. And in this storm, this cross, this suffering, he truly shows them who he is in his death and resurrection. So that once he ascends into heaven to, his, to heaven, to cross the shores of heaven again and come to his homeland, the disciples would be ready then to be sent out to all other lands and help others navigate the storms of their life. And in fact, use those storms to bring them to the Savior and have the Savior save them and off goes with the growth of the church. The growth of the ministry and the mission of saving souls who are drowning in the midst of the storms of this life. And don't even know that God is there. And that's you and I then. With all of this stuff going on around us. And all this stuff going on inside of us. Each of us has to ask 
that question and answer that question for ourselves. And then once we answer it, we know the direction we need to take. Am I living a life in which fear has overtaken my faith? Or am I living a life in which my faith is dispelling the darkness of fear? And that will always, of course, be a journey, always be an ongoing effort. But it's a question that we have to answer and then live and live with the consequences of, not just for ourselves, but precisely as we learn here, but for everyone else, like our loved ones and strangers, our brothers and sisters in this society that we live in. In fact, the world is absolutely dependent upon us as Christians to also be disciples who know what to do with storms. And based upon our response, either this world will fall or this world will rise in faith. 